All right. <laughs> Morning. So, like Kevin said, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. Just a little recap where we're at. Uh, Peter is um, writing to people who are beginning to experience persecution at the hands of, uh, of the Romans, uh, especially under rule of, uh, of Nero. And so he knows, he, he can see the writing on the wall, he sees that they're starting to be persecuted and he can see that it's going to get worse. So he's trying to prepare them for the suffering that's ahead. That word, he uses uh, suffering uh, more in this letter than, we, than in any other Bible, uh, book in the New Testament. Uh, so it's a big focus, you know, how we handle suffering. So he can see the writing on the wall. Things are going to get worse under Nero. As a matter of fact, it's not going to be too much longer and the Christians are going to be kind of forced underground. They're going to literally be underground in the catacombs. And, uh, uh, you know, Peter, Peter could see what was coming down the road. And he wanted them to, to be prepared. Um, so, so far, he's encouraged them not to lose heart, right, to, to keep a clean conscience and to make sure that we don't suffer needlessly, right? We're, you're going to suffer anyway. Make sure you don't suffer more because you were stupid, basically, you know. Uh, and we've probably all been there, right? Uh, we made some mistakes that, man, I made it even worse. And so he warned us against that. Now he's going to talk a little bit more about how to think clearly and, you know, how, we, how we're going to handle things by uh, keeping a level head. And part of that clarity is that he's going to show in, the, in our text today is uh, going to come from our awareness of how short time is. Right? Peter was getting older, he knew he either is going to die uh, of natural causes in a fairly short order, he's going to be martyred, which ended up being the case, or Jesus is going to come back. Either way, time was short, uh, and so it gave him some perspective. So all that being said, we'll pray, then we'll get into it, all right? Lord, we thank you this morning for allowing us to be here to uh, worship and fellowship. We thank you that you've preserved your word for us, that uh, we can look into it and and see the truth in a world that uh, seems to have lost the, the concept of absolute truth. We know that we can turn here and find it. We just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to uh, leave here not just with more knowledge, but that uh, we would know you better. And through that, uh, through that we would be drawn closer and, and be able to uh, be your hands and feet here on earth better. Uh, Lord, we pray for your blessing on the message and on your people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going we're gonna to see today, I think, four different ways that we can be prepared for the end times, which is basically where we're at. Now, some of you may know I'm, I'm a little bit of a, a nerd when it comes to statistics and numbers. I just love looking into that, so I spend a little time this week uh, doing more of that. Um, the average lifespan, you know, in, in America is about 79 years. It's actually clocking back a little bit. Uh, the last couple years has been the first time where our life expectancy has gone down in, in decades. Uh, a few factors into that. But anyway, so over the average lifespan, do you know you'll spend about six months of your life at traffic lights? Isn't that terrible? Six months of your life. And if, if you're like me, four months of your life will be 
screaming about why doesn't anybody know right of way and you know that's one thing I've determined is all my kids are going to understand fully how a four-way stop works because they've heard me rant about it every time I'm at a four-way stop. Uh, we'll spend about five years of our life waiting in line. Uh, six years of your life eating. I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah. Uh, four years of your life doing housework. Yeah, this. Roughly 13 months of your life will be spent on the toilet. Since the advent of TikTok, I think that number is going up. But <laughs> Here's a, a more of a sobering one. Uh, by the time your kids are 18 years old, you will have spent roughly 93% of all the time you will ever spend with them. Yeah. Tempest fugit. Time flies. It's, depending on your age, uh, you may believe you've got lots of time left uh, or, or you're more and more aware of how little time you have. But either way, I'll, I'll just tell you this. It's later than you think. So we'll go ahead and get into our text here. First Peter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose or have the same mindset, right? Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So there's a ton just in those, those couple of verses there. But there at the end of verse 2, he he just kind of throws out this thing that for some of us, we spend our whole lives chasing after, trying to figure out what is the will of God. What's God's will for my life? In Romans 12, Paul talks about this concept of presenting your body as a, as a living sacrifice, right? That, uh, that is, uh, you know, basically saying, God, here I am, use me, you know, this is, uh, my body is yours. And then he goes on and says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be, to, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you can know the will of God. Like, that's how it starts, right? If you want to know the will of God, it starts by saying, God, here I am. You know, I'm, I'm giving myself up to you. And the more that I turn myself over to you, the more you are going to reveal to me, is basically how that trans- transaction works. But Peter here, he says... Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That's, that's an interesting turn of phrase. Some people have actually taken this verse and kind of twisted it. Uh, and they use it to, you know, to um, endorse things like... Uh, asceticism or self-flagellation, you know, physically harming yourself to, uh, you know, the mortification of the flesh, you know, you hurt yourself and so it makes you closer to God. And that's not, that's not what Peter's talking about at all. You notice the, how does this verse start? What's the first word? Therefore. So whenever you see therefore, you should look and see what it's there for, right? 
Uh, so he's referring back to something prior to this verse. So when we go back to chapter 3, verse 18, it says, uh, For Christ also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So Christ died for all sin once for all. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. That's what the Bible teaches. So at the cross, his relationship with sin was finished. Now, he never sinned, um, but he died in our place for our sin. And so at that point, his relationship with sin was severed. It was once for all, we're done. And so Peter's saying that's supposed to be our approach, right? Is that we view that as that's not part of who I am anymore. Now, the reality is, will you ever cease from sin? No, but your relationship with it can be altered. Um, Suffering has a way of, I think, uh, loosening the bonds of sin. By that, I mean, you know, I've talked with people who have been through a fire and they almost universally say the same things. I'm just glad everybody was okay. You know, I, I, they maybe miss, I, I regret that we lost our photo albums or whatever. But no one ever is upset that they lost their TV, you know, or their stuff. Because in a time of suffering, their perspective changes. And suddenly, my relationship with that stuff is altered. So when we suffer, our relationship with our sin should be altered too. You know, when we've gone through terrible times, there's very often the things that we're um, held captive by can can kind of loosen their grip a little bit. I'm, I'm reminded of you remember the movie Major Pain. That you know what I'm talking about, right? Like he he says, I've got a little trick. Take your mind off that pain. Um, sometimes we go through uh, suffering. It the uh, it has a way of purifying things you know gold put into the furnace is is purified and and uh, its full value is revealed the idea peter is getting at right is that when we suffer it should be it should remind us that oh yeah uh, my relationship with sin is different now i'm supposed to separate myself from that romans 6 verse 6 paul puts it this way he says knowing this that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to, to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So time is precious, and it's not worth spending what little bit of time we've got on something that Jesus died for, right? is, is the, the gist of what he's saying. Then he goes on in verse 3. He says, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of of the Gentiles, or your Bible may say the pagans or unbelievers, right? People who don't believe in Jesus. Um, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you, or they talk bad about you. Maybe some of you have experienced that. I know I did when, when I first... Uh, trusted Jesus, uh, my, uh, most of my friends, we 
the things we had in common were not things that uh, you're proud to tell your mom about, you know. And I was really worried to tell in, most of my friends that I had made that decision for fear that oh, they're going to make fun of me or not going to want to be around me. And, and I thought, you know, I did find out who some of my real friends were because there were some that when I didn't have drugs anymore, they didn't have things to do with me anymore, you know. Um, but I remember a couple friends in particular, I was nervous about talking to them about it. And when I did, finally, they were both like, that's cool, man. That was, you know, I had all this fear about this conversation when I told them, they're like, huh, okay, so anyway, what do you want to do Friday, you know? Um, and one of them is, has come to know the Lord himself. So either way, you're going to find out who your real friends are when you, uh, when you make Jesus a priority in your life. And yeah, some, some people may not understand it. But here's the thing, in verse 5 he says, But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In other words, don't worry about that. Right? that John 5.22 says that God has committed all judgment to the Son. That Jesus is the one who judges uh, the living and the dead. He's ready to judge the living and the dead. And so lusts and sin and flesh are no longer supposed to be our master. So, so far we've got this one main driving point, right? That in the end, if time is short, if you want to be prepared for the end, uh, you need to, first of all, focus on holy living. Like, focus on what God wants for you in your life. And then he goes on in verse 6, he says, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached. Even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. And again, some cults have kind of twisted, built some doctrine on this verse, uh, teaching things like you, you can be saved after you die or uh, you can, somebody can pay enough of an offering and get you out of, you know, your temporary holding place and all that. That's, that's not what he's uh, talking about at all. Um, this verse, I like how the Holman Christian Standard uh, translates this. First Peter 4, 6. It says, For this reason the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead. In other words, people who they believed, now they're dead. right? Uh, so that although they might be judged by men in the fleshly realm, they might live by God in the spiritual realm. The gospel is about freedom, right? It's, it's, in part, it's about being set free from uh, the judgment of men. You know, you now have one judge, and he has already ruled in your favor, is the idea. And so knowing that, knowing that there's only one who can judge me, that's, that's Christ the Lord, uh, I should still share the gospel even with those who try to judge me here. And for good reason. In verse 7, he says this. He says, the end of all things is near. We almost called the message, the end is near, but I was afraid people would like get the wrong idea about this, this message. You know, like I have like a sandwich board around myself, and, you know. Um, but statements like that, the end of all things is near or, or at hand, your, your Bible may say. I don't know about you, but when I read that, that kind of troubles me because it's been 2,000 years since Peter wrote this. So was he wrong? 
He said it was near then. C.S. Lewis, uh, most of you are probably familiar, at least with, if if not the books, the movies, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe, and all that. In one of his books uh, from that series, uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's this scene where Aslan is the lion that's, you know, the the Christ figure. He represents Christ in in those books. And he is about to depart. He's going to be separated from the kids. And Lucy especially is upset. And, and uh, he says, you know, don't, don't be sad. We'll meet again soon. And she asks him, please, Aslan, what do you mean by soon? And he says, I call all time soon. Call all time soon. For the Lord, Peter tells us elsewhere that, uh, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. We're talking about a being that exists outside of time, who created time, can see the beginning and the end. So everything is soon uh, for him. We live in this period of history between the first coming, when, Jesus, when the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among men, when Jesus walked here on earth, and the second coming, when he returns. We live in that period of time. And I believe that we've seen prophecy fulfilled even in my own lifetime. Uh, On Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Isaiah and talking a lot about that type of stuff, end times prophecy and all that. I I believe we've seen a lot of prophecy fulfilled in our lifetimes that indicates that his return is soon. Um, But regardless, we're supposed to live in anticipation of his return, right? Uh, Jesus told parables about this that don't act like it's going to be years or decades before I come back. You need to live as if it's going to be tonight because it gives you clarity. It keeps you from being lazy, you know. Uh, We're supposed to live in anticipation of his return because the reality is, yes, he might come back today. He might come back tomorrow and it might be a hundred years from now. The reality is you do not have another hundred years to live. So you will see him before then, right? So with that clarity of mind, 1 Peter 4, verse 7, we'll read it again. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. That word sober, he, this word pops up a few times in this letter. And yeah, he in part, it means don't be drunk or high all the time, right? But the word literally just means to be, uh, to have a balanced mind, to be even keeled, right? To think clearly, you need to be balanced, not imbalanced. So be of sound judgment and have a sober or balanced mind or spirit for the purpose of what? Prayer. So part of our being fully aware, clear-minded about how short time is, is to motivate us to pray. Our flesh tends to uh, always want what is worst for it. I know you guys have heard me probably use these uh, examples before, but like when I'm hungry, I know intellectually a salad is good for me. My flesh wants pizza. Right? Salad is healthy. Pizza is delicious. That's the, you know. Um, 
And the same thing is true with spiritual things. Our flesh is always warring against our spirit. And so prayer is one of those things that our flesh will find every excuse possible to avoid. In Matthew 26, I believe Peter uh, had this in mind when he was writing this. Uh, We'll start in verse 36. It says, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and he found them fervently praying, right? No. He found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think that haunted Peter. He couldn't keep watch for an hour. And now he's reminding us, hey, time is short. You need to be clear-minded. Keep watch. He talks about this all through his, uh, his other letters, right? That, that Be on the lookout. Right? The devil is on the prowl like a roaring lion seeking someone to, to devour. There's this um, reality that we've become aware of uh, in the last 50 years or so. They call it the, the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Or it's basically it's frequency bias. So um, it, how it plays out practically is uh, you say, you know what, I think I want a red Jeep. And then you start noticing... And there are a lot of red Jeeps on the road. Apparently everybody wants a red Jeep, right? Have you ever experienced this? Or you get a new car and now all of a sudden, everybody has one of these. Everybody didn't copy you and go buy the same car. Uh, it's a reality that was there that you were not aware of previously. Are you watching for spiritual stuff? Are you watching for what the devil is up to? Are you watching for what God is trying to be up to in your life? Are you stepping over things that he wants you to pick up or are you walking around carrying things that he's been trying to show you to put down? 1 Peter 4, verse 7. We'll read read it again. He says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of of prayer. You know those statistics we were talking about earlier. The average Christian prays about six hours per year. It's about 45 seconds a day, and most of that is over a meal. Um, as your time grows shorter, your prayer, I think, should grow more potent. But it tends to go the other way, and I'm guilty of this. When I'm, when I'm suffering, I have fervent prayers. When, I, when one of my kids was in the Nick unit, I prayed like you wouldn't believe. When I'm coasting, my prayer life slides back closer to that 45 seconds a day thing. 
And I'm reminded of this uh, in Revelation 2, verse 2. Jesus is addressing, it's a church, but he's talking to people. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have left your first love. Over time, uh, as we get more and more busy, we will make decisions to not need Jesus as much as we once did. That tends to be a reality, and I know it's been the reality for me. We grow more and more busy, and that word, I always try to remind myself, it stands for being under Satan's yoke. You know, the busier you are, the less time you have for what's important. Verse 4, though, I'm going to read this again out of the NLT. He says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. He's you notice he, he said, you do a lot of things right. You're going through the motions of devotion, uh, but you've gotten off track. Right? You've, you've left your first love. You don't bring me flowers anymore. You know. I have a little experiment for you. Uh, mo- a lot of us are going to go out to lunch after church. right? In the restaurant, look around and see who's talking and who's not. Because I bet you'll find the people who aren't talking are married. It's true. When you're dating, you talk and talk and talk and you want to know all there is to know about the other person. And once you're married, you're like, I know all I need to know. (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) And God's you know, God's warning us about that, right? Like, I, that's what prayer is. That's our conversation with Him. He says, I want, you to, I want you to keep talking to me. We need to keep this communication open. So as time grows short, right, we want to be prepared, we want to live holy, pray more, and then He says this, we, we want to love harder. Verse 8, He says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Be fervent in your love. That word fervent, it's, uh, it describes like how a, a horse runs or it's uh, the muscles of an athlete straining to win a race. It's uh, part of where we get strenuous from. It's give it, giving it all you've got right to the point of failure, just as hard as you can. And he, and he quotes... From Proverbs here, Proverbs 10, verse 12, says that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. So Peter says, I want you to love as hard as you can, because that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, it doesn't mean it covers up for, like, you know, you don't have to be my alibi, uh, you know, if the police come calling, right? Um, although, if anybody asks, not, never mind. Um, but... Godly love doesn't seek to humiliate someone 
or to air dirty laundry or, you know, it, it stretches itself to the point of breaking in order to cover, to forgive and to overlook insults and unkindness. Sometimes you have to confront, and the Bible talks about how to do that properly, right? There's, it starts, though, privately. You go one-on-one, and then if that doesn't work, maybe you bring another person in and so on. But I would encourage you to do this. If you need to, you think you need to confront someone over some insult or injury, before you do it, ask yourself this. Does that person know that I love them? Because if they do, right, if you've been loving fervently, then they know when you bring something to their attention, it's, it's because I love you and I want what's best for you. But if it's just I'm being critical and you have no idea that I have love for you, it's going to go not the way you want it. In Proverbs 19, I can't remember if it's verse 10 or 11, it talks about how um, you know we're to be slow to anger, but that it's, it brings glory to us to overlook a transgression. Right? You know that you're, you're maturing in the faith when you can overlook a transgression. That, so that means you don't have to point out every single thing someone does wrong or that annoys you. That's a sign of maturity. That you can let it go. And maybe give them the grace that you would hope they would afford you. Uh, because, trust me, you're annoying too. First <laughs> Peter 4, verse 9. says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. That word hospitable is an interesting word. In Peter's time, hospitality meant something a little different than it means now. Because, you know, there were no holiday inns or, or uh, anything like that. So when Paul or Peter, they're traveling around, they would come to town and some Christian needs to just let me live with them while I'm here. Right? And you would be ready to open your home to a stranger. Hospitality, literally, that word means love for strangers. It has another little... Second, secondary meaning of helping to recover. That's why we have hospitals, right? Is we love strangers and help them recover. That's the idea. And so the early church would open their home to strangers. And, and it was inconvenient. That's, the, that's the, uh, the, the main point of hospitality. Is loving to the point of when it's inconvenient. So you you know you'd be friendly and welcome welcoming, but also be open to interruption. That's a tough one for me. I hyper focus like that's I get either nothing done or I get a lot done because I'm zeroed in on this thing that I'm doing. But be open to interruption, open to helping somebody even when it's inconvenient. So how fervent is your love? Are you, are you stretching and straining yourself to love people or not? But here's the, here's the trick, though. He says, uh, be hospitable to one another without what? Without complaint or grumbling, your Bible may say. The, I think it's funny. The word for this in the Greek is gungismus. It sounds like a mumble, right? Gungismu. And it literally means to mumble 
under your breath. You know, when you help somebody, you're like, you know, you mumble about it. You can do things, you can do the right thing with the wrong heart, and that's still a problem. Uh, That's what he's cautioning us about. Uh, We'll read on here, verse 10. Uh, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, or many-colored grace of God, is what manifold means. Uh, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter, he says, you know, you want to be prepared for the short time we have. Care about living a different way. That's, you know, that's holiness. Uh, Make sure you're talking to God. That's prayer. Make sure you're loving as hard as you can. And then serve. Right? You've got some sort of gift. Use it. Now, do you want to know what your gift is? Everybody always wants to know what their gift is. There are like spiritual gift surveys you can take online and all that stuff. Here's how you find out. You try stuff. You get busy. You know, I've, I've served in basically every ministry capacity you can imagine. And I've determined through trial and error that most of those are not my ministry. You know, most of those are not my gifting. But I gave it a shot and, and figured it out. Um, whatever your gifting is, I, I just a couple little words of advice before we close out on this. is For one, don't expect everybody to be excited about what you're gifted for. Um, because it's yours, not not everybody's. Uh, don't expect to always be thanked for it, because it's not for your glory; it's for God's glory. The position of martyred Savior is taken. We don't need another one. So when we're serving, don't grumble, right? When we're loving, don't grumble. Um, you know, we do it for his, for his glory. Uh, don't waste your gift and don't waste your time. So we're going to see if we can land this plane. Here's the deal. Time is short. So we need to be smart about how we use it, right? If you're tired, maybe you've been spreading your, uh, your energy a little too wide and a little too thin. Just need some clarity, right? Take a beat. Think about it clearly. God, what is it you'd have me do here? It's time to work smarter, not harder. And then are you using what you've, you've got to bless uh, the body of Christ? Because there's no retirement when it comes to uh, being a Christian. The, the closest thing we see to retirement in the Bible is there were the Levites who helped carry the, the Ark of the Covenant and set up the tabernacle and all that. When they reach a certain age, God says, you guys can't carry the full weight anymore. So now you go and help in the tent and teach the younger guys how to do the job. That's it. They don't, there was no retirement. You just refocus and use it somehow uh, differently. 
So we'd love to help help you find a way to, to use your gifts, but uh, and there's lots of ways to do that. But I'm going to close it out with a, a lyric from a song that I really like, and then we'll, uh, we'll pray. Um, the song goes like this. Uh, you got to do what you can with what you got. It may be a little, it may be a lot. Uh, we're all dealt one hand, and we get it from the same pot. So just do what you can with what you got. All right? Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you this mor- uh, morning for uh, bringing us together. We thank you that you loved us so much that you preserved this word for us, that you want to be known, uh, and Lord, that you want us to have an active, open, ongoing uh, line of communication with you, that this relationship is not supposed to be one-sided. So, Lord, we pray that um, you would open our eyes, help us to see the areas that maybe we've been neglecting, that you've been trying to bring our, to our attention. Uh, Lord, help us to stretch ourselves in new ways. To love to the point of uh, of inconvenience and discomfort. To be your hands here on earth. Lord, we pray uh, that that we would all learn to uh, lean closer to you. And be fully aware of uh, how short time is. Lord, so many more need to know you. And we pray that we uh, can get can play some small role in them coming to to faith in you. You've done all the work on the cross. We just simply trust you to be who you say you are. Uh, We can spend eternity with you, and we're thankful for that. Lord, we pray that uh, you would continue to watch over and bless this church and your people, and that you come and come quickly. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Ready? Break. All right.